We're going to be in Exodus chapter 32 this morning. It's Exodus chapter 32. Have you ever felt like you got short-term memory loss? I, I know sometimes I do. I can barely remember what I had for breakfast. And there's even times where I'll get up from the bedroom and I'll be walking to the kitchen. And by the time I get there, I've forgotten what I was going to get. And so maybe those are just brief lapses in memory, but there's a story of a man who, after having brain surgery and going through electroshock therapy, he was left with a severely limited memory, only about 30 minutes or so is all he could recall. And so he had to study himself. The article described him as a student of himself, and if he were to go out, which he rarely did, he'd have to have these note cards that, that would remind him the next thing that he was supposed to do because if he went out, he would literally be lost because he couldn't remember what he was doing or where he was going. And he'd even have to dump the, the plethora of medicine that he had to take into his sink in the morning so he wouldn't forget to take it. And so he needed these cards as a reminder to, to keep him on track, to help him know where he was going so he wouldn't forget uh, what he was doing. Well, we're going to see these people in the story that uh, seem to have memory problems as well. But as a way of introduction to talk about the background of our story, we're in the book of Exodus, and after 400 years of slavery, uh, the Israelites, uh, God has delivered them from the Egyptians in a mighty and miraculous display of his power. God has defeated Pharaoh and his armies and has saved his people from slavery in Egypt. God now makes a covenant with his people, and and he vows to be their God and that they will be his people. And our God raised up a deliverer named Moses, who who led the people out of Egypt. He faced off with Pharaoh, and, and God used him as an instrument to bring his people out of Egypt. Now, at this point... The, the people have twice pledged to the, the Lord that they would serve him and obey him alone, that they would worship God alone. Twice they have pledged from their hearts that they would follow God alone. Now they, they find themselves at Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. Moses has gone up to, to conference with God, and God is giving Moses the law, and the people are, are left at the base of the mountain awaiting instruction from the Lord to, to ratify their covenant. And so Moses is up there for 40 days and 40 nights. God God is giving him the law so that his people can live by obedience. Well, as we'll see, it didn't take long from the awesome and miraculous demonstration of God's power for, for the Israelites to descend into inexcusable disobedience. And so if you would look at with me at chapter 32 in Exodus, we'll pick up the story here. It says... Exodus 32.1 When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in your ears, of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand, and pay attention to this, and fashioned it with a graving tool, and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, 
And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. On to verse 7. It says, And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way I've commanded them. They have made, a, made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it, saying, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, in order that I may make a great nation out of you. Now as we're going to see, the, the main thing we're going to learn from this passage is that Jesus mediates for sinners. Is that Jesus mediates for sinners. Let's look again at verse 1. The Israelites, they believe Moses has died on the mountain. And they feel that, that God uh, has abandoned them. That, that Moses has gone off and he's probably dead. And so we need to replace him. We need a new leader. We need a new God who will lead us forward. And, and even though they know that God is real. Though they have, with their own eyes, witnessed the great power of God. And unquestionably seen it demonstrated and have pledged their whole heart to him twice. They begin to forget all of this and begin to trust in what they can see and what they can feel. In verse 4, we see that instead of glorifying God and giving him credit for their freedom, they ascribe his wonderful acts to this metal image. They, they go so far as to call this calf that they have fashioned Elohim. They, they call this calf God. And they bow down and they worship it. And they chose to trust in the riches that they had received from the Egyptians and fashioned a God after their own sinful desires. Verse 6 tells us they rose up early the next day and offered sacrifices to this calf. They ate, drank, and rose up to play. It, it went from worshiping of a deity to, to this hysteria of this drunkenness and sexual immorality. 1 Corinthians 10, which we'll read later, shows us that, that this is the kind of worship, quote-unquote, that they participated in. It wasn't a, a worshipful kind of solemn event. It was, it was drunkenness, and it was sexual perversion. And so they fashioned a God after their own sinful desires, one that would let them do what they wanted to do. Having convinced themselves that Moses was dead and that God didn't care anymore, they rationalized their sin and used this opportunity to indulge their sexual desires. Now, we think, how could they have done this? I mean, they just saw the mighty hand of God at work, right? I mean, how can they go from saying they're going to worship this God who had freed them and demonstrated quite literally his power before them, and then now less, it's less than two months later, they were just waiting for the law, and now they say, we forget about God and we're going to do our own thing. You think, how could they do that? But before we get too judgmental on them, before we get too critical on them, we need to ask ourselves and examine our own hearts as believers. Have we done the same thing to our God? If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you are a blood-bought child of the living God, has he not saved you in an even more miraculous way than he did the Israelites out of Egypt? I mean, we were all dead in our sin, right? We were all sinners before God. 
But the Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were the enemies of God, God extended grace to us. We were all slaves to sin and destined to face God's judgment. But Christ took the punishment that we deserved. Christ died in our place. He triumphed over the grave and defeated the undefeatable enemy of death. And he shares that victory with us by forgiving our sin and making us right with a holy God. Yet, how easy is it for us to forget that? How easy is it for us to start living away from the the idea that God has saved us and brought us out of slavery, that we are no longer slaves to sin? Sometimes I look at my life and and I see times where I've treated the Lord like, like the Israelites did in this story. How easy it is to get confident in our gifts and abilities rather than trusting in the sufficiency of God and in his strength. Maybe we place too much trust in our money. Does our peace of mind come from a balanced checkbook and sufficient funds in our bank account? Or or do we trust in the Lord to provide for our needs? Maybe our careers are our top priority. Husbands, if we're too busy to lead our family in Bible study and prayer... Because of work, have we not sacrificed our families on the altar of busyness? This includes doing the work of ministry. Ministers can rationalize all they want. I'm doing God's work. Yeah, but if you're neglecting your relationship with God, if you're holding on to sin in your life, if you're neglecting your family because you say you've got too much to do in the church, that's idolatry. Because you've made this work more important than your relationship with God. And God's primary call for us is to have a relationship with him. And that's the whole idea of Exodus, is that it's a God who makes himself known. And yet these Israelites had rejected him and worshipped their own gods. Maybe you're a believer and you're caught up in sin. Maybe it's something no one knows about. And you rationalize to yourself, like I have, well, it's not hurting anyone, right? No, no one will find out. And, and it's, just, it's just this one time. Or I'm, I'll, just, I'll just do it one more time, and, and then I'll be done. Or, you know, God's a forgiving God. He's, he's going to forgive me, and, and it'll be okay. These are the rationalizations that we make. And so when we look at the Israelites, we can't be too harsh on them because we have done these same irrational and, and horrendous things. We have forgotten at times in our lives what the Lord has done for us. So in all these ways and more, we act just like the Israelites did. We make idols out of the blessings God has given us. We trust in the gifts he has given us and unwittingly forget the great things he has done for us. So all the while, God's not ignorant of his people's disobedience. And in our story, as the tension rises, it's clear that if left to themselves, the Israelites are going to be left to face God's wrath, and that they would be wiped out in the face of, off the face of the earth. So here, in steps Moses to intercede for this wicked people. Look, at me, uh, look with me at verse 11. Exodus 32, 11. It says, But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt, with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent did he bring them out, to kill them in the mountains and consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. 
Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by yourself, and said to them, I will multiply your offsprings as the star of heaven, and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Moses, out of a love for his people, steps in to fill the gap. As we read in Psalm 106, that that God's anger burned against his people. Had not Moses stood in the breach and turned God's anger away. He pleads with God not to destroy the Israelites, and he intercedes based on God's past work of redemption, and and based on God's reputation in the world, and and based on his promises to Abraham. And and so Moses successfully intercedes. He he pleads with God to save the Israelites, and, and so God turns away his wrath. And instead of completely and utterly destroying them and starting over, I mean, God was like, I'm done with you. You're going to worship this God and you're going to have the, the tenacity or audacity to, to say that this is me. And God's like, I'm just going to start over. I'm done. I'm done with you. But Moses reminded him of his faithfulness and his faithful promise to Abraham. And so God turned away from this wrath. So too it is with believers. We live just moments away from being totally destroyed by the wrath of God. When we sin as Israel did, God's wrath is kindled. So, so how are we not consumed? Do we have a mediator that, that can satisfy the wrath of God and keep us from being totally consumed the moment we love something more than we love God or the moment we choose our own selfish desires over God's desires? Of course we do. You see, Moses and his intercession for the people, it's just a picture of one who is greater. And Jesus stands eternally between us and the consuming wrath of God. Listen to Hebrews seven twenty-three through 25. It says, The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Praise God that we have a mediator who always and perfectly stands between us and God, right? Whenever we worship idols, whenever we forget and take for granted all that God has done for us, Jesus stands in that gap. So we as believers should always live with the solemn fear of knowing that without Christ, we would be defenseless against a wrathful and righteous God. Oh God, I need you. My one defense, my righteousness. Oh God, how I need you. We need Jesus Christ because without him we would face the wrath of God. However, we should also live with an unshakable confidence, knowing that Jesus will eternally intercede for us, and nothing and no one will ever stop him from covering us. Jesus will never fail us. Jesus is the perfect atonement. Jesus Christ will cover us, those who have turned away from their sin and trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. He will eternally and forever be faithful to cover our sin. However, at this point, we need a word of caution. While Jesus intercedes on behalf of God's people, keeps them from being destroyed when they worship idols, 
there's still consequences for disobedience. Now, Israel's about to find this out in a very sobering way. Let's look back at our passage, picking up in verse 15. It says, Then Moses turned and went down the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and the back they were written. The tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writings of God, engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, There's a noise of war in the camp. But he said, It is not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot, and he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them on the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made, burned it with fire, ground it to powder, and scattered it on the water, and made the people of Israel drink it. And Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? And now, Aaron, being clever as he is, uh, his answer is something else here. Verse 22, it says, And Aaron said, Let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people. They are set on evil. For they said to me, Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So I said to them, Let any of you have gold, take it off. So they gave it to me. I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. Aaron's like, I don't know how it got here. I mean, I was just minding my own business, and we threw the gold in there, and man, out popped this calf. I I don't know. You know they're set on evil, and so, you know, it just materialized here. I can just imagine Moses' face like, that, that's, that's the story you're going with. Like, that's the reason you're going to give me for why you, this calf is here. And so, before we, again, get too harsh on Aaron here, think of the excuses that we've used with God for our sin. That, oh, well, I, I know I shouldn't have spoken that way to, to my husband or my wife or my kids, but, you know, I'm just I'm under a lot of stress. And I'm just real tired, and so, so that's why, you know, I was kind of short-tempered, you know. Or, you know, it's, it's just this one time, and I, I, God, I know it was wrong, and, and I know I shouldn't go to these websites and look at these things, but, you know, that's, that's just the way I'm wired. You know, it's, I, I just can't help it. These are the same stupid excuses we use. And, and so Aaron is no different, and we are no different than he. So, going on in verse 25 probably without saying a word to Aaron after that. Verse 25, it says, And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose, notice the responsibility for the leader, to the derision of their enemies. Verse 26, Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And he said to them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from the gate to gate throughout the camp, and each of you, Kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And that day about 3,000 men of the people fell. And Moses said, Today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord, each one of you at the cost of his son and of his brother, so that he might bestow a blessing upon you this day. God purified his people and punished harshly those who disobeyed him. Notice it was according to the word of God that Moses carried out this punishment. It's a day that that Israel would not soon forget, and ultimately it would result 
in that generation that God had brought out of Egypt, not being allowed to set foot in the promised land. You see, they forfeited the blessings of God because they chose their sin over obedience to God. It's the same for believers. God allows us to face the consequences of our sin. Ruined relationships, broken trust, tarnished reputations, the list goes on and on. But believe you me, there are consequences for our sin. And and God does not just turn a blind eye and act as though it didn't happen. He allows us to face the natural consequences of our sin. We are eternally secure in Christ. We will not face the eternal punishment of God in hell. But he will allow us to, to live out the consequences of the choices that we make. Your sin never hurts just you. And again, believe you me, your sin will not stay hidden forever. And I can tell you from experience that no matter how hard you think you can hide it, no, no matter how ignorant you think the people around you may be, your sin will come out. And, and that day is a day you will not forget. When we trust in anything besides God, when we forget what God has done for us and chase after idols, be sure God will allow you to suffer the consequences for your sin. So what do we do about it? How, how do we avoid the sin of idolatry? How do we avoid forgetting what God has done for us? How do we let the knowledge of all that God has done for us and the faithfulness of God help us to live faithful lives where we don't chase after these other things that fight for our affections? If you'll turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we're going to look at that for a moment. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Starting in verse 6, it says this, Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Sound familiar? We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. These things happened as an example for us. Paul is telling us that these stories in the Old Testament are not just stories. They're examples for us. And so the first thing, there's five things that we can do as believers to, to keep from forgetting God and to, to avoid the sin of idolatry. And the first is right there, is to learn from people's faults. Let them make the mistakes, right? Let, let them make those mistakes and we learn from them. The, the Bible is replete with examples of what not to do, right? I mean, it it's, it's, tells us that this is, what these people did, and this is how the Lord reacted. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? And the way he treated Israel is the way he will treat us. So, so if we think somehow that, that God's not going to treat us when we disobey in a similar way, if he's not going to treat us the same way he did Israel, then we're deceived in, in thinking that, that we could get away with it. No, 
they happened, they did these things as an example to us so that we would not follow in that pattern. And so look for those bad examples and, and say, that's not what I'm going to do. That's who I'm not going to be. I'm going to follow Christ. And, and if there's someone in your life who's a bad example, then, then look to that as, as a, a testimony of what you don't want your life to look at, look like. The next thing we can do is to constantly remind ourselves that God is faithful. Look with me at verse 12. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Then verse 13 of 1 Corinthians 10. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Let's not get to the point where we're doing good in our walk with God and and we're walking in victory over sin and and then we start to think, yeah, you know, I've got this. You know, I've gotten pretty good at at holding my tongue or I've gotten pretty good at at doing loving things for my spouse or or not going back to that addiction and not being who I used to be. And, And then we start getting confident in our own ability to overcome sin. But it's at that very moment that, that we're most prone to fall right back into sin because we think we've got it and, and it's okay. And that's what he's saying. Take heed lest you fall. Because if you think you stand, then you're deceived. But it's God who is faithful, right? It's, it's God who gives us the ability to, to stay away from idols. It's God who gives us the ability and the desires and the passion to worship him. And, it, and it's God who is faithful to give us a way out of that temptation. We do not have to worship idols. We do not have to chase after our sin. We're free from that, believers. Christ has freed us from that. And, and unlike the Israelites who some of them said, oh, I wish I could just go back to Egypt, where we had fruit and where you know we had a place to stay and we didn't get free meals from the sky and where we had to work all day in slave away. No. Christ has freed us from our sin. And we're no longer slaves to it. God provides a way. So we should constantly remind ourselves that God is faithful and just. Just like that man who needed those note cards, right? To, to not forget where he was going. We need reminders. We, we need something in our life that will help us to remember what God has done for us. And there's nothing greater than the word of God. You'll read of God's faithful acts. You'll read of his just punishment of sin. And this is our road map. These, this has the warning signs that Pastor Graham has been talking about in our life to, to keep us on track and from forgetting who God is and what he's done for us. Uh, thirdly, simply we are to flee from idolatry. Look at verse 14. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. It's as simple as that. Have nothing to do with it. Stay as far away from it as possible. Don't, don't see how close you can get to the edge, right? A lot of times we want to flirt with sin and see, oh, well, you know, if I just, you know, get this close, you know, I'll just do it this one time. Or, you know, I know it might be a little shady. It might be a little dishonest. It's just a small error in the books, but it's okay. I'll let it slip. And, you know, it was just this one time that, that I acted in anger. The Bible tells us to flee from it, just to stay as far away from it as possible. Whatever it is that God's calling you to do, maybe you feel 
complacent. Maybe you know God wants you to do something, but, but you're too lazy or, or you, you're too comfortable to, to get out and, and to do what God is calling you to do. Maybe your work has become your idol or maybe the plans you have for your life are more important than the plans God has for you. Maybe we choose to watch another episode of our favorite show on Netflix when really we haven't led our family in devotions and, and haven't poured in to our children. Maybe God's calling us to be generous and to give of our time and money, but, but we just like the idea of having a nice car and living in a nice home and having nice things and, and having the latest iPhone and wearing nice clothes, and, and we know we could give more, and we know that God wants us to be a cheerful giver, but, but it's just so nice, isn't it, being comfortable? That's when we fall into idolatry, when the things God has called us to do, the obedience that God demands from us is replaced by our sin. The fourth thing we should do is to do everything to the glory of God. Look at verse 31 of chapter 10 here in 1 Corinthians. It says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. God's opinion is the only thing that matters, right? God's glory and doing something to honor God is the only thing that matters in this life. So often we get caught up in trying to please other people and and doing these things so, so that we can make other people happy, whether it's picking up toys off the living room floor for the 15th time today. Or maybe it's going out and mowing that yard knowing that the grass is just going to grow back in a couple days. Or, or maybe it's, it's going into work at the same time in the same place doing the same thing every day. And you think, why am I doing all of this? What is the point? And maybe you go to work because you want to get that promotion or you want to please your boss or, or you're, you're trying to take care of things at the home uh, so, so your spouse will be happy with the way things are. You see, when we do things for other people, for their approval, and to please them, that becomes idolatry. Because we need to do it for God's glory. And everything we do can be done in this way. So, we should do everything to the glory of God. And the last thing, the fifth thing that we can do to avoid forgetting God is to follow those who follow Jesus. Look at verse 1 of chapter 11 right there in 1 Corinthians. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Paul was saying, follow me because I'm following Christ. I'm looking to Christ, and so you should pattern your life after the way I live my life. And every single believer, no matter how old you are, no matter how young you are, no matter how long you've known the Lord, whether it's two years or 20 years or 50 years, Every single believer needs someone who's more mature than them to, to pass along their wisdom, to pour into them, to, to guide them and lead them. We need these Christian brothers and sisters who, who we can look to, who we can pattern our lives out after. When we see them following Christ, we can say, that's what I want my life to look like. When, when I'm their age, I want to be like they are. And a huge part of that is accountability. Do you have someone to whom you can confess your sins? Do you have someone you can confide in that you know when you tell them their sin, your sin that, that they're going to pray for you? That, that they're going to speak God's truth into your life? You see, accountability is an indispensable part of avoiding the sin of idolatry. Because without 
other brothers and sisters to keep us accountable and to encourage us and to ask us how we're doing, we tend to draw away. We tend to pull away. We have no checks or balances in our life. And so I would encourage you this morning, you need those people in your life. Look for them and, and be intentional about it. If you see someone that you can look up to, someone that can pour into your life, go to them and ask them. Talk to them and say, listen, I'd like you to disciple me. Every single Christian needs that. So, We'll come back to uh, Exodus chapter 32. In verse 30, we see Moses going back up to the mountain. So Exodus chapter 32, verse 30. And in this last section, we're going to see how Jesus mediates for unbelievers. Verse 30, it says, The next day Moses said to the people, You have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book you have written. Moses said, Lord, kill me instead of them. Because he knew God's anger would still burn against them. He had temporarily satisfied the wrath of God, temporarily averted it, but he knew that judgment was still coming. But the Lord said to him, verse 33, The Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now go, lead the people out of the place which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. Moses hopes to atone for his people's sin. He, he wants to forever satisfy the wrath of God. And he says, God, kill me. Take me instead of them. And Moses says, I'm gonna, I'll die as a substitute for them if you will forgive their sin. But God says no. He tells Moses that whoever has sinned against him, they will face God's judgment. Every single person who sins faces God's judgment. And there's no one who can take their place. They must answer for their own sin. And God even promises a day when he would visit each man's sins upon him. So ultimately, each and every Israelite who sinned that day would have to answer to God for their idolatry on the day of judgment that God had promised. And Moses could not save him as he did in the wilderness. The Bible tells us today that there is a day of judgment coming for every single person. The Bible says that every person has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone has turned to their own ways. They, they knew God. Every single person has the, the knowledge that God is there. But they have chosen to not honor him as God. In a like manner to Israel, they exchanged the glory of God for the images of money, success, power, happiness, pleasure, and worship the creation rather than the creator. So my question for you this morning is, is that you today? Have you hardened your heart towards God? Have you chosen to live your life for yourself rather than for God? Have you chosen to worship your own desires and do what you want in life rather than to submit to God? If you, if you have, then you've made an enemy of God. You have set yourself up against the God of the universe. And just like the people in the story, 
God's reserved a day of judgment for you. The Bible says it's appointed once for man to die and then the judgment. You will stand before God and answer for everything you've done in, your, in this life. And if there's one trace of sin in your life, the reality is you're going to face God's judgment, his punishment in hell. You need a mediator. You need someone who's going to stand in the gap. So, someone who can take God's wrath for you. Someone who can fully and finally satisfy God's wrath on your behalf. The good news is, there is someone like that. Unlike Moses, who could only temporarily make amends for his people. Unlike Moses, who could not die in the place of his people. Unlike Moses, who was a sinner and could not fully and finally satisfy the wrath of God. Jesus can. You see, Jesus is the greater Moses. Jesus did make amends for sinners. Jesus did die in the place of sinners. Jesus was God and became a man who was perfect and a perfect substitute. You see, Jesus is the only Savior who can fully and finally satisfy the wrath of God against sinners. If you turn away from your sin, if you renounce your old life, and you give your life up and over to Jesus Christ, and you make him your Lord and Savior, the Bible says you shall be saved. Jesus can be your mediator, and Jesus will save you from the wrath of God if you submit your life to him and pledge to worship and obey him alone. Let's pray.